Okay. Um. Begin. Number four yet? Volume number four? Yeah. I just bought three. Oh, really? <laughs> you weren't invested until you finished two, were you? Nope. <laughs> Are we recording? Yep. Okay. Good. Yeah. This is where the best shit happens. Yep. One master of mediocrity, me, and one lieutenant of literation, Jessica. Eh. It's something. It's a thing. What have we got today, Lieutenant? Today we've got The Blood, Volume 2 of the Monstrous series by Majri Lu and Sana Takeda. I wish I knew I was saying that right. The award winner, the bestseller, the broke art comic book that we have spoken about once before that you didn't read, Dublin. What do you have to say about that? Well, I have to say that this is the redemption episode that no one saw coming. <laughs> I read that first volume, damn it. Our volume one episode convinced me to go back and try it again, and I'm glad I did. Yay! It was fucking fantastic. Yay! The violence wasn't as tense as I as it was the first time I read it. The art wasn't as overwhelming. I didn't think there were too many words on the pages. <laughs> it was actually engrossing. I'm so happy right now. I'm not going to say I told you so. I will casually ignore that. <laughs> we're here to talk about volume two. So yeah, me reading the first one has nothing really to do with volume two, right? Except that it means I can actually talk about it, and I finished reading two books. Yay! Hey, and there are two kind of hefty books as well, so there is something. That is fucking true. Yeah, it was hella impressive that I finished it. Good news for listeners and you alike. The plot, the setting, the theme, nothing changes. <laughs> it's still fantasy. It's You were the one that changed. I was the one who changed. <laughs> I came around to accepting this story as the fantastic thing that it is. <laughs> and if I can change, anyone can change. Um, but yeah, it's still, you know, influenced by the non-Western themes that we were talking about before. It's still got horror and kind of a celestial horror thing going on. There's espionage. There's betrayal. Treachery. Pirates. Loved it. Want more of it. And matrilineal societies as well. In there sometimes. That's really the only thing that matters, frankly. Things should be carried on by our mothers. I mean, they do most of the work when it comes to creating and maintaining a family, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, this book's really grew the universe in a way that I liked. Um, we learned quite a bit more about Micah, the heroine's mother. Mm -hmm. We got more clues in the mystery of who she was and where she came from. Still really confused about whether or not Micah's mom is a good person. Signs point to no. Well... Signs are mixed. Mixed signals from Mama. That's fair. Everyone's a really unreliable narrator in their own story, right? And it certainly right. helps when the last time you saw her was a child and you were in the middle of a fucking war. But, yeah, you know. things exploded. Bad things happened. Yeah, maybe we can be a little forgiving. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, we've got ghouls. We've got sirens, which were really great new contributions. I loved it. Lesbian queens who are mixed race? Yeah, I mean, one's a fucking god. Right? 
yeah that yeah i think she i think she is a god or like one of the old gods like the original siren lady maybe yeah what do they call them the immor- immortals the originals yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that the originals, pretty sure that's an NBC show. <laughs> Fair enough, but they, they, had, they had something about them being like the first. Yeah. You know, whatever they Because they were around for when the big, big gods came in, the big squid looking yes. ones that. Yeah, the squiggly of, shadow things. Squiggly shadow things. They were there first before they came and walked into the plane. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we also have demons, and I think that's yes. kind of what more with the squiggly things like the lesser things of the squiggly mm-hmm. it's like they're were they're rats shadows. yeah yeah Gross. um but i was very very excited about it and mm-hmm. as you so gladly pointed out this book has won a lot of freaking awards what? for its writing oh, and its art good damn awards man they skipped all the awards words i didn't even know existed to be honest when i looked <laughs> that up yeah goodness it's a two-page spread in the preview yeah like um so the first book won a lot of awards too, but even the second one itself yes. has won awards, um, which was just phenomenal. This like, is the third time I'm rereading volume one, and this is the second reread of volume two. Okay. So let me just say, this is my favorite read I've made of it so far, because every time you read it, Get up something different from it. You pick up something different from it. And in the beginning of the trade, because that's what we're reading, mm-hmm. uh, volume one, sorry, at the end of the trade, volume one, Marjorie actually has a little, like, like a little afterward in there. And the way she talks about how the book is not so much really about the adventure, but as it is about war and post-war mm-hmm. and sort of the environment that people find themselves in and around all of those major mechanisms. The Tam, the Professor Tam Tam stuff is so much more impactful when read like through mm-hmm. that lens, especially in volume two, because yeah. it does so much painting for the in between caps really have like a greater purpose of like this is sort of a, which is which is a really great writing thing yeah pacing thing because Pro- professor tam tam is this cat teacher who's yeah. teaching a bunch of kittens the cutest little kittens the cutest little kittens with uh teaching about their history mm-hmm. for i mean just because you're supposed to teach history you're right? supposed to tell kids what happened in the past yeah so but she's, it's like so she's to, teaching them in between issues in a scientifically based way like yeah here's first-hand literature and examples and logical way. that's what there it you is go. that really takes the burden off of our characters doing the, the narrating mm-hmm. because professor tam tam's stories are connected across multiple issues which provide us history which introduce us to new characters because she's interacting with the kittens like in and outside of classrooms mm-hmm. and with artifacts and giving us kind of a better idea of what's going on and what's in this world, which is just, it's a great way to break it up and a great way to kind of bring into, bring that context in slowly rather than having to spend like four issues building the world. She can just be like, this is relevant as it comes up or it's, it might be relatively irrelevant to what's going on in the story, but provide you that context. Mm-hmm. Um, Deepens your understanding of why things are, are yeah. impactful. Like what, choices people make and the way people react to things that are happening it really helps deepen your understanding world building dude 
so good. It is so good. I uh, one of my notes was that um, they're not they're not overbearing with the influence of things. Like so, a lot of ways that people want to traditionally show like matriarchal societies is by pointing out how it's not run by men. Instead of showing how it's run by women, they're just very much like we don't need man. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the context that I've always seen it traditionally. What I like about this one is that in this universe it's never really been run by men. So there's no need to show it's not men who are doing it. Instead, they just changed it to, you know, oh, oh goddesses, you know, rather than oh gods. You know, mm-hmm. they just, they changed the language in a way where everyone's using it and it seems natural in the universe, but it's not pointing out that it's not men. It's just yeah. pointing out, like, it's making it so natural that it's women who are in charge and that's just the way it is. And I really, really enjoy that they did it. Instead of like mother, instead of motherfucker, it was like sister fucker or like yeah. father fucker or yeah, something yeah. like that. Like they changed it a lot in subtle ways where it's it feels different, but not overbearingly so. Yeah. Um, and I think it's more than fifty percent female characters. In I think so too. The book, and I, I can know. Only think of like three men that yeah. they directly interact with. Yeah. Four. Two of whom are tigers and her her goddess fathers. Yeah. So. Well, and the, the like, I'm always suspicious whenever I think that because your brain's kind of geared that if you even see 50-50, it's like there's more women than men. But it's not. It's just 50-50 representation. So yeah. I'm always like, but no, it is. And I didn't really pick up on the depth and breadth of the matriarchal society until, like, you're sitting here talking about it some the only thing that really jumped out at me was some of the in-between literature backstory. There were a couple of them with, like, propaganda-esque, like, World War Two era almost pictures of mm-hmm. soldiers. Yeah. But all the soldiers got tits, yo. Like, yep. and yep. every time I was like, huh. And then I was like, oh, it's the, it's the nuns. Like, it's the nuns. But no, not all of them are, like, actual straight-up nuns. They're more... The layman. Yeah. They're, yeah. like, the people who are just like, I don't have the abilities, the psychic abilities that sometimes run in the females of the humans, but yeah. I can hold a sword, so here I am. Or yep. I can hold a musket. And that's the other thing, too, is they seem to even, like, lay in there that, yeah, the reason it's major linical is because the females sometimes have superpowers. Yes. That's why. <laughs> totally. Which is great. Like, hey, it's, stand- it's still, cool. it's great. Uh, I also think when, you know, you talked about the war and I think one of the other good things that they did when it comes to the war, the world building mm-hmm. is every character that they really interact with is impacted by the war, but in different ways. Yes. Micah, our main character, was a child during it, but now she has this child who's following her, who when they ask her questions, the child's been asked, like, what you know do you remember this do you remember that do you remember these things and the child talks about how you know she talks about stuff from before that her family kept going and it really demonstrates that um aside from a diversity of cast that in different physical forms and whatnot there is a diversity in uh kind of emotional Right. Um, impacts. Impacts and characters and characterizations. Yeah, like, because her family really holds the line through the war and kind of, like, obviously this child is traumatized because in the first volume she was in slavery, like, slavery camp and sold to certainly die, but, you know, was able to keep some emotional, uh, I don't know, like, intelligence through it, like, 
It's weird. People like post kids born post nine eleven, for instance, have a very different opinion of the world than people who were born pre nine eleven. And I think that's pretty intelligent for them to have different groups of people handled different ways. So I did want to talk about the fact that the main character's line that really developed in volume two for me that I really was happy they did was like the protagonist's ability to record memory from when all of that traumatic shit was happening. It did a really good job of like kind of showing that it's like a, it's like a trip to regain power over those traumatic experiences in her life by like reevaluating her experiences with her mother, getting better examples. Like the last scene is sort of redemptive of the mother because she gets some pretty, like we like we said earlier, we don't know if the mom's a good guy or not, but like latches on to a good memory of her mother where her mother was really shown as caring about her and just kind of the spotty element of memory for both the protagonist and the like god that is trapped inside of her mm-hmm. and how both of them were kind of created by trauma and distance and time to yeah. like detangle that element yeah they both have had to make some very bad decisions mm-hmm. and they've had a lot of one more so than the other has had a lot of bad things happen to them yeah micah has i think been more of a victim than oh definitely <laughs> but she's definitely following in those paths the the path of that monster inside of her where her decisions are going to come bite her in the butt. And as someone who just really got into the series, like I, I have no idea what's going to happen next. And I'm kind of excited. Like, yeah. cause she got a pretty damn good warning. All right. So we're, let's kind of go into the favorite character things because right. there's captain. I have, I can't decide between my two. Okay. I'm going to start with, the easiest one is Professor Tam Tam might be my favorite mm-hmm. just because she's so informative. She's adorable, great character design, but Captain Sarissa um, is another fave. She's the captain of the pirate boat. She's definitely more human. She's a confident, she's bold. She's very astute and she really just gets Micah in a way that I don't think Micah is going to ever accept. And she has a great, great warning about how Micah needs to watch herself or she's going to be causing more problems than solving them yeah. with just how forward and blunt Micah is. She's a blunt force trauma. Yeah. <laughs> and it really, Micah better watch herself mm-hmm. is where I'm going with that one. Good. Well, and I don't know. I'm kind of stuck on the duality of the two main females in this Micah and the little Fox kid. Mm-hmm. Because they're both sort of two sides of like the the coin that is childhood drama, you know, like yeah, one's a pretty healthy embodiment of like how to come out of it whole, and the other one's just in the angry spot still, and they're just both very they're kind of I, I can't I don't want to go so far as to say that the foils of each other, but like Micah is still very juvenile, mm-hmm. um but she's very adult in the amount of, in what she's had to do in just, I mean, her literal age. Whereas the little fox pup is very juvenile because she's a child, but she's also very adult in in the decisions that she's making and how she's handling it. So it's like, they're very yin and yangy kind of. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like an opportunity for Micah to redeem herself and to heal herself and caring for this pup. 
and, and like it kind of like herself too as a child because yeah. like there's there's like the scene where she learns how to swim and she's like she can swim now you know and it's kind of like her making I don't know I read it as sort of her, her making peace with the way that she was raised like how her mom taught her the harsh yeah. way yeah. and then there's like the scene where she's like well there, there people write things on the back of pictures and like pulls the pictures out here let me show you I think that was volume one but mm-hmm. like she's like how do, I don't even know basic shit like this you know and like it yeah. was really angry for her on that and then the other one it was really peaceful so I think they're both like agents of growth for the other character because yeah. obviously the little one's getting crash course in how to beat shit up yes <laughs> and she's making some pretty big decisions yeah um yeah so this book is so good so good and i'm actually going to be sad when it stops winning awards mm-hmm. i almost wonder if they'll just stop giving out awards because I, like at some point they might just be like oh volume three is the same as volume two you're mm-hmm. not giving us anything new but it's still just kind of fantastic and i have no idea what's next I know what I want to see happen, or at least the characters I want to explore more. I want answers. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More information would be great. And, I mean, I don't I don't want so much information that they end up getting, like, bogged down in the world building, building part. Like, comics really have a great way of growing the world through conversation and... You have to connect dots in ways that in novels it can explicitly state for you. And the way they write those conversations and the way they build it still feels kind of natural and still is a great way of creating those connections and building that structure of understanding the characters. Like the pirates. Yeah. That was phenomenal work. Mm -hmm. Very quickly done, too. Like, they did it succinctly. It's not like they're taking their time about any of this. Except for, like... I mean, they are in some things, but they're not. Like, they're giving you the bones very quickly. And I, and I think it's kind of funny that you even were talking about how natural it is because I'm very interested in, like, an omnibus version of this with a little bit of, like, their creative process because these two mm-hmm. work exclusively together on this. It's just the same two people through all four trades so far. And... I don't know who does what first. Like, I don't know how they do it. I can't tell just by looking at it. I think the bones of the story and the environment of the story are stars here. The dialogue isn't, like, something where I'm just going to, like, take it and just paste it on my wall because it's, like, so impactful and amazing. But it's it's good. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. It's good. It gives you the information you want. You can use it to, like, trace back to what's going on. But, like, the bones of the story and the world that the reactions the emotional depth it's a lot on the art but like is the blocking the author because the author has very intelligent things to say about it obviously like i want to know how they work together so like yeah i think i read a little bit about that Uh and unless i'm totally making it up i think it did happen where marjorie had the ideas first and then talked about it a lot with uh sana and they just kind of fed off of each other it was very much like she just lets Sana do her own art and kind of build it, the design. And then, you know, they just kind of, it was very interwoven of kind of a mutual experience. The way you're talking about it. And like, like, I don't know why I went there. Maybe it's the art that I went there and like, because of all the animal imagery mm-hmm. kind of, and also because it doesn't have like one line that's going to give it all away. It feels like a fable. Yeah. Like a moral story like at some point. Yeah. Where instead of it being like, you just can't, do the last line of those fables and it just be like 
it makes all, you know, since you have to have the context of the story, like if you want to talk about the tortoise and the hare, you have to give more context than the tortoise one, you know, like you yeah. have to talk about the hubris of the hare and like know a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, that's how it feels kind of here. There's no profound, there's a hypothesis and, you know, one sentence summary. It's very like, it's, so it's like an out. I don't know. I don't know a lot of literary terms. It's not, I'm mediocre, remember? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm failing in my job because I don't know what the word would be either. Um, allegory? Allegory is a good... Yeah, because it does feel very much like we're talking about gods here after all. <laughs> allegory sounds right. We'll go with that. Yeah, that's a pretty good. Parable. Yeah, parable. It's the parable of the monstrous. <laughs> the parable of the monstrous. <laughs> I found my deep religion. I don't know if it's been adapted into anything, though, or optioned. I, I would be very surprised anything. if it yeah. was an option for something, but I haven't heard of it either. Like reading it, there's obviously some material, and I feel I find it more so with Marvel and DC, where it's like written, and some of the image stuff, where it's it's like it's written for some adaptation. Yeah. And Monstrous just doesn't have the feel. Like, it's a story. They're writing a story, but they're not writing a movie. Yeah. They're, um, they're definitely writing a comic book. Like, that's like, the medium they've chosen, and they, they've they made the story for it. Yeah. I feel like it's if it was adapted into something, it'd be like a sci-fi show. <laughs> yeah, and it would be, yeah. like, disappointing, strangely, yeah. you know? Like, it's one of those things that's too pure for that, I think. Now, as someone who did a deep dive into K-dramas and Asian dramas, maybe if someone, like, in Asia picked it up. And then that, actually, thinking about that, that sounds problematic as fuck because, like, they're both Asian creators. But, like, literally, if somebody not Hollywood picked this up, it probably would be done I could see it being a horror show. Like, a horror movie or something or a horror series. Yeah. Like, I could see it if it was handled by somebody that wasn't going to westernize it. I could see it being true to sort of the underlying Oni sort of. Because I, I imagine if it's more Western influence, it's going to be like more of a male lead. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, more sex and action than nuance. and Also less just sort of open-ended like mm-hmm. horror. This is sort of, el- this, is, this is Eldritch Horror right here. And America doesn't like to make Eldritch Horror without giving you something to hold on to, like a raft. They're yeah. like, here's a raft to make it yeah. easy for you to digest. And Japan's yeah. like, everybody does. Yep. <laughs> yep. Suck it. Suck <laughs> it. Death is inevitable. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, great series. And thank you for changing my opinion on it. Because Yay. I... I did nothing. Young one. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to read volume three yes. and volume four when that one hits the shelves. Yes. So thanks for joining us today. Bye. Bye. How did that become a thing we do? I don't know. So fact that we even got any of this audio back is a win for me, to be honest. Fair. All right, let's get this going. Let's go.